Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today's readings teach us about prayer. God invites us to pray, and he promises to hear us. God will answer each and every prayer that we bring to him according to his good and gracious will, and he will do so according to his own timeline. God knows what is best for us, and he will use all things for our good. He will answer those things according to what is best, even if it isn't what we are asking for. An example of prayer and God's response to it was found in our Old Testament lesson from Numbers chapter 21. There the Israelites were in the wilderness, and they would be wandering in that wilderness for 40 years. God's people did not appear to be praying, but they were busy grumbling and complaining. How much energy do we spend grumbling and complaining when we could be taking these various matters to our Lord in prayer? They had forgotten how bad it was when they were slaves in Egypt, and now, that, and now they are wishing and telling Moses how much better it would be had they remained in Egypt. They were tired of the food that they were eating, which was that manna that God miraculously provided for them every day. And so God responded to their complaints. His response was to send snakes that bit people and many died. Now that might seem to be rather cruel, but God had a plan in it. Because the people finally stopped their grumbling and their complaining, and they turned to Moses in repentance. They admitted their guilt. They said, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. And then they asked Moses to pray on their behalf. So now we have their grumbling and complaining turning into prayer. They asked Moses to pray to God that he would have mercy on them. And God had a plan and a, God has a plan and a purpose in the hardships that we also face. Often it is to remind us that we are not as much in control as we would like to think we are on, of our lives and to teach us to rely on God alone. And as we heard in our account from Numbers 21, God can use these hardships that we face, the difficulties and challenges in life, to bring us to repentance as God did to these Israelites. And it also causes us to turn to the Lord in prayer as the Israelites did when they faced this affliction. So Moses prayed for the people, and the response that God gave was not what they requested. From a secular perspective, what God did would seem about as bad because instead of taking the snakes away as they had requested, which would seem to be the best thing, God instructed Moses to make a bronze serpent, put that bronze serpent up on a pole, and whenever someone is bit by a snake, they look to that bronze serpent and they are immediately healed. Some may say, well, this is worship of snakes or things like that. But let's look at this through a spiritual perspective. Let's look at this through the lens that God would have us look at it. The solution that God provided was, in fact, better than simply taking the snakes away through his divine or miraculous hand. Now, how could it be better if the people are still getting bit by these snakes? 
Consider it this way. If God had simply taken the snakes away so that the serpents were no longer biting them, then the Israelites would rather quickly fall back into the exact same trap that they had been doing. They would return to their grumbling and complaining because they do not like the manna that they, they are eating and they do not like their place in the wilderness. But through this, God could keep them, keep on reminding them that he is in charge, that he is not only their Lord, but also their Savior, that they can rely on him and that they must keep on turning back to the Lord in repentance. This repentance, which involves confessing sin and turning from it, is an important spiritual exercise for Christians. And so, through the proclamation of the law, through negative circumstances in life, God teaches us to keep on repenting. God provided not only by healing them, but he also was teaching them how he would provide through his son. You see, by doing this, he could, also, he could not only perform this miracle and cause them to keep on relying on him and not on their own devices and cause them to grumble and complain less, but he was also pointing them ahead to the coming Messiah, to God's own son who would redeem them. You see, early in our Lord's ministry, Nicodemus, a Pharisee, came to visit with Jesus by night. He was impressed by Jesus' teachings and by Jesus' works. He knew that Jesus had come from God. And Jesus told Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So, to, for the Israelites, God not only answered their prayer, causing his people to survive the snake bites and keep on relying on him as a source and giver of all good things, but he also provided for them a way to keep their eyes fixed on Jesus, their coming Messiah who would take away their sin. For through them, through the Israelites, they all the nations of the earth would be blessed because within the Israelite lineage would come this Messiah. And when they look at this serpent lifted up on this bronze pole, on this pole they would then remember that their Messiah would come and be lifted up to take away their sins. The bronze serpent lifted on high saved them and even more so, Jesus, the Messiah, would be lifted up on the cross to save the world of their sin. Now, we need this salvation. For all around us, we hear of sinful activity. We ourselves are filled with sin. We heard of those own temptations that come from within as we sang our last stanza. We heard even of friends who will, so supposed friends who will lead us into sin in that, in that, in that last hymn. And yet, Jesus, what does he do? Does he avoid us sinners? Does he say, look at those rotten and evil people? They're too wicked for me. I can't be in their midst. No, instead, Jesus comes into our midst. He becomes one of us, but without sin. He becomes a true human being in his incarnation. He does so that he can bear 
our sin in his own body and be held accountable for all that we have done. He does this so that he can go to the cross and shed his innocent blood on our behalf as the payment that is required for us to be reconciled to God, our Father in heaven. Jesus died on the cross making that ransom payment, and he rose from the grave for our justification. And through this work of Christ, we can live eternally. We can live. We look to him and live. In today's gospel, Jesus invited his disciples to pray. The setting in which he speaks is Monday Thursday. The words of our gospel are the end of his multi-chapter discourse that is recorded in the gospel of John, John 13 through 16. And this is the very conclusion of John 16. They probably had left the upper room by this point because earlier in John, Jesus said, arise, let us go from here. But it's not certain if Jesus kept on preaching with to his disciples in the upper room or if this is part of a speech that he may have been given as they were on their way out to the Mount of Olives. But in either case, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. It is not long before Jesus goes into Gethsemane to pray, and it is not long before Judas arrives with the chief priests and elders of the people with lanterns and torches and weapons about to betray Jesus with a kiss and arrest him so that he can be crucified. And so what does Jesus do? He teaches his disciples to pray. Then in John 17, Jesus prays. He prays his high priestly prayer. And then Jesus also prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. So he leads by example when he prays. And he also says that when you pray, pray, in, pray to the Father in Jesus' name. When Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he says that the Father will give you what you ask him that your joy may be full. And this gets us to a key aspect of what prayer is or what we do in our prayer, that we pray in Jesus' name. Now, this does not mean that we must end every prayer with, in Jesus' name, we pray, amen. It is certainly fine to add that to our various petitions. Or, of course, the way the colics do it, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. It is perfectly fine to end our prayers in ways like that. But to pray in Jesus' name isn't simply to say in Jesus' name or through Jesus. Instead, it is to pray in faith. Because the only way we have access to our Father is through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus, when he was with his disciples in the upper room, he said to the disciples that the only way you can have access to your Father is through him. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So when we pray in faith, we are praying to our triune God, believing in him and trusting that he will hear our prayers. We have complete confidence that he hears us. And we trust that he will answer our prayers in accordance to his good and gracious will, not simply in accordance with whatever demands we want to levy against him. Now, we may wonder what we should be praying for. The primary guide that we have for what to pray for is the Lord's Prayer. 
We may simply pray the Lord's Prayer. And then we can also pray about the various things that we are praying for in the Lord's Prayer. In fact, every petition except for the fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread, addresses spiritual needs, needs of the church, needs of our soul, needs for Christians, specific to Christians. Only the fourth petition addresses the bodily needs, which is give us this day our daily bread. And there we are praying that God would provide for us, that he would provide for our bodily needs, which includes giving us families, food, and the like. Our prayers are often made after we read our problems or see the problems around us. So when we hear of something bad, that's usually when we finally then turn to the Lord in prayer. For Martin Luther, though, it's kind of interesting when he writes about prayer, he understands prayer to come about by reading God's word. So we, are, we tend to be driven to prayer when we read the world or we read the ailments that we're facing. But Luther, he's driven to prayer as he read the word. In fact, Luther once said, I have so much to do that if I didn't spend at least three hours a day in prayer, I would never get it all done. Now that, our, according to our reason, we would simply disagree with him. How could I get everything done that I need to do if I spent three hours every day in prayer when I can't even get done what I need to get done on a daily basis as it is, we may reason. Well, there's two things to consider here. By praying, Luther was commending his life and his daily work to the Lord. To him, prayer came about, and, and that, so Luther was also saying that he is not pretend, pretending to be in charge. So he's commending things to the Lord. He's not He's showing he's not in charge. Also, Luther understood prayer to be different than what we understand it today. As I already mentioned, uh, Martin Luther understood prayer to be a, a way, uh, prayer came about not by reading our problems, but by reading the word of God. Okay? So those three hours that Luther is referencing would not have simply been speaking to God the entire time, but it would have included God speaking to him by his study of the scriptures. So as he reads, as he studies the scriptures, then he finds many things to begin praying about. When we read the Bible, we often look at it as simply information. But for him, as he read the scriptures, he found many reasons to pray. We can use our epistle lesson as a great example for this. When we read our epistle from James chapter 1, we can see that there's much to pray about, that we would be doers of the word, that we would bridle our tongues, that we, we would visit orphans and widows and keep ourselves unstained from the world, that we would know the word of God so that we can have a pure and undefiled religion. Now, given that we do not know what to pray for as we ought, God gives us many prayers to pray. The main prayer book in the Bible is the Psalter, the 150 Psalms that Christians have been praying for thousands of years. In fact, in the bulletin, there was an extra page, so I copied out of the Lutheran hymnal a list of Psalms to pray according to their, uh, according to their importance. So what's the main point of the Psalm? They're all divided up. You can find that toward the end of your bulletin. In addition to the Psalms, there are many more prayers found throughout the Bible. 
And there are many fine prayer books that are available, some of which even teaches how to pray the Psalms. One is called Praying the Psalms with Luther, and he shows us to how we can see the catechism in many of the Psalms and how we can see Christ in the Psalms. It, it is a very fine book. And while there are a few good prayer books published by others, I must say that I highly recommend the ones published by our own publishing house, Concordia Publishing House, over and above most of what else is out there. Anyway, when we pray, we may pray to any person of the Holy Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And when we pray, we do not pray to those who have died, we do not pray to the saints, and we do not pray to the angels. For only God is omniscient and only God has promised to hear us and he alone answers us. We end our prayers with amen, which is an interesting Hebrew word. Amen sometimes means truly, it means sometimes verily, but the word is usually left untranslated. So in the Hebrew, we have that word amen. And then in Greek, we have that word amen. And it is found only 30 times in the Old Testament. In the English, amen in the New Testament is found 56 times, but never found in the Gospels. So they're all only found in the epistles. In the original Greek, that word amen, which again is a Hebrew word, but it made its way into the Greek, that occurs 129 times in the New Testament. But in our English, we only see it 56 times. And most of the times it's found is actually found in the Gospels, even though our English doesn't have that word. Why? Because often when the Hebrew word amen is found in the Greek New Testament, it, it often means verily or truly. And in fact, Jesus says that word twice in our gospel reading today. In John chapter 16, verse 23, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Those words, truly, truly, you may remember the King James, verily, verily, I say unto thee. And now in the ESV, it's truly, truly. Some translations do a poor job. They say, I tell you the truth. Uh, but it would have been best had the English translations just left the word alone. Amen, amen, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. For Jesus used a Hebrew word, but was speaking in the language of the people. It was recorded in Greek. They left it as a Hebrew word. We would have done well to do the same. Anyway, the words truly, truly, as I said in the Greek, mean are, are the Greek words for amen, amen. And when Jesus says this, it means listen up. This is important. Please hear my word. And when Jesus said these words in our gospel, this is the seventh and the final time that Jesus says, Amen, Amen, on the evening of Monday Thursday when he is with his disciples, preparing them for his upcoming crucifixion and preparing them to serve as his witnesses as they will go out and preach the word to the ends of the earth, beginning in Jerusalem on Pentecost. As Christians, you are encouraged to pray several times a day. You are a child of God. God loves hearing your prayers. So good times to pray are when you rise up. If you don't know what to pray, you can pray a psalm, as I do every morning. You could also pray the, the Luther's morning prayer, as it's printed every week in your bulletin on the inside back cover. You can 
you are also encouraged to pray when you eat, before your meals. You may pray at the end, giving thanks. And you may pray at the, you are encouraged to pray at the end of the day as well. Uh, you can pray the Lord's Prayer. You can pray Luther's Evening Prayer. You can pray whatever Portals of Prayer gives for you to pray. There are many different prayer books out there that you can use to turn to the Lord in prayer. And you are encouraged to pray with members of your household, whether it's by reading prayers or the Psalms, by speaking memorized prayers, or by praying from the heart. And you may pray, and you also are praying when you gather in the divine service. Have you noticed that much of the liturgy is actually a prayer? Many hymns, too, are prayers. Some of our hymns were speaking to ourselves. Some of them were speaking to God. Some of them are simply a confession of the faith. But yes, many of the hymns are prayers. Even if you feel that you could know more doctrine and theology than your pastor, and therefore you do not get anything out of coming to church that is more head knowledge, what do you do when you go to church? Not just to get that head knowledge, but you, you pray. You turn to the Lord in prayer. That is one of the primary purposes. Jesus describes the church as a house of prayer. So when you come and gather in God's house, you are praying. You are praying for yourself. You are praying for others. You are praying with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And we have many blessings as we engage in this time of prayer. In closing, I'd like to read to you a little bit of what Luther said on prayer when he preached one time on today's gospel. Luther said, I have no doubt that by our prayers, various evil practices on the part of our adversaries have been thwarted. And if today still some good is to occur and evil be undone, it must be done through prayer. Therefore, do not make light of prayer, even though you might think that you are not fit or worthy to pray. Were that the case, no one would be in position to pray. May each Christian say to himself, since prayer is so pleasing to God and so highly essential and beneficial for me and for the church, I shall attend church and pray as fervently as in me lies. For I am confident that prayer is not, nor can ever be, in vain. So my dear friends, keep on praying, for God loves you. He hears every word that you think and pray and or think and say, and you receive nothing but blessings by spending time in prayer. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.